I knew that all I had to do was create an environment for people to try it for the first time. If I can get them for the, for, for the first time, I knew I could get them back. And, you know, being in hospitality for so many years, you kind of realize what you love about it. And for us, it's about, it's about the people. You know, it's about bringing people together. It's about making people happy. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. For those wishing to take the deep dive into Australia's rich culinary landscape, there is a multitude of cultures, traditions, cuisines and experiences to explore. New Australians, first, second and third generation Australians tapping into the pantries of their parents and sharing it with enthusiasm, respect and unbridled energy. Some have taken all the beauty, character and joy from the old world to develop and innovate brands and products that are adding new colour to the culinary landscape. Amir Elissa is the founder and creative director of The Bearded Bakers. Amir, how are you? Doing great, thank you so much. What, a, what an intro. <laughs> I've, got, I've got to work on my voiceovers. <laughs> well, I'm very much looking forward to hearing you talk because uh, you've brought something quite beautiful to... Uh, our food culture in Australia in the last couple of years with the bearded bakers. Um, t- tell us a little bit about how that started. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll paint a bit of a picture, I guess, you know, I guess where it all stemmed from. Um, my younger brother and I, um, Joey, we, um, from the age of 13, we kind of, you know, we started washing dishes in cafes and cause we, we didn't come from a well-off family or anything. And so as soon as we were old enough to kind of work actually before we even legally allowed, we kind of just started scrubbing dishes in cafes just, you know, to make a bit of pocket money. And mm. um, things kind of went from there. We spent a couple of years in the kitchen and had an opportunity to work front house as a, as a waiter. And back then, being a waiter was very prestigious. If you're a waiter, you know, you're kind of cool. You get to wear nice clothes and interact with people. Where previously we were in the kitchen, we had spongy shoes and soggy hands. And, <laughs> yeah. From there, we started working front house and had a bit of taste of that and realized being around people, you know, and and reali- quickly realized that we kind of took what we grew up at home and translated that at work. And the way we looked at it, we were getting paid to party. Like, we were getting paid to kind of entertain people, you know, working in cafes and restaurants. And that quickly progressed. We started running little cafes and restaurants um, while we are still at school, you know. And so by the time we graduated from school, I've always loved being creative. And so for me, um, I always wanted to do architecture. It was, it was a no-brainer for me. And my brother Joey loved the microphone and so he wanted to be um, an auctioneer in real estate and so we kind of went in our separate paths um, but we kind of studied during the day but still ran restaurants together at night and it went from there um, we got there you know we, we'd been in the hospitality game for so many years and we thought you know what we've, we've been doing this for others for so long we've got all the ingredients to kind of just take the leap of faith and, and do it on our own and um, the opportunity arose at the old biscuit factory, at the old Arnold's Biscuit Factory in North Strathfield, um, a little cafe called Barber Scotty. And um, we took, that was a rundown business, and we took it over, Mum and I and Joey, just the three of us. And um, I guess our, our, you know, our journey and in terms of running the business for ourselves started there. And mm. we quick, from there, we obviously realised, you know, hospitality became not so much what we do, but who we are. And um, I kind of given up architecture in, in working in a practice, but 
I didn't give it give it up in terms of I guess a personal sense where I guess our businesses over the years became my creative outlet. So obviously, my, you know, my family kind of thought I was crazy studying six, seven years at uni <laughs> to do architecture, and then you go, you know, serve coffees for people. You know, like where, where's the, you know, where's the logic in that? What my family didn't realize, I, I was still expressing my creativity and passion for architecture. I was just using hospitality as that vehicle. And so over the years, I've designed, you know, our, our spaces and venues and even dishes and got creative with um, the way we build dishes as well and construction of ingredients and textures and things like that. So for me, it's about having that creative outlet. That's where I feel mm. kind of alive. And that's been a blessing over the years. Um, over, I guess, you know, over the years, um, we've kind of went on from Barber Scotty. We took an old rundown auto electrician in Croton Park and turned it into a restaurant. Wow. Called Chisha. That's where, yeah. um, that's where we met. Yeah. And um, it was at that point where I started to um, – we wanted to showcase more of who we were. Up until that point, it was about doing, I guess, you know, Barber Scotty, Italian influence, Mediterranean, modern Australian – you know, what people wanted, right? Where with Shisha, we wanted to showcase, showcase more of who we were. And so that's where I started experimenting with a lot of um, dishes that we grew up on. A lot of mum's recipes, you know, that we have at home. And one of them was this dessert, you know, called Canaf. It's just beautiful, really simple, humble dessert. You know, um, think of a warm creme brulee for those who don't know what Canaf is. It's kind of this crunchy coating and mm. you, you crack into it and it's got this oozing, creamy, cheesy center. And so we baked that fresh to water and we put crushed pistachios and a fragrant sugar syrup to taste. And I'll do this all at the table in terms of the sugar syrup and the pistachios and so forth. And um, it quickly gained a lot of attention um, at the restaurant. All of, our, all of our food reviews became about the canafe. Yeah. So, so people started calling up the restaurant and go, we heard about the canafe. We'd like to come and have dinner and try it afterwards. Or even some people would say, do you do takeaway? <laughs> And so the takeaway side of things escalated, um, you know, and it got quite busy and started putting, you know, a bit of strain on the kitchen. And as you know, working with chefs is, is quite challenging. And we only had the one combi oven and we're, we're trying to do everything in it, you know. And so it, it did put a lot of pressure on, on the kitchen and, and myself to try to find a solution, how we're going to cater for the demand. And um, I think it was at that point, my two, world, my two worlds really kind of came together. Um, you know, and that's obviously my love of food and people and, you know, my passion for architecture. And what I mean by that is it's all through my architecture degree where I was inspired many years prior, mind you, I was inspired to do something with a shipping container. I think I did six years at uni just to take a half an hour case study on shipping containers. <laughs> <laughs> and so many years ago, and until now, actually, architects transforming shipping containers into all kinds of things. But back then, I'll turn them into really high-end apartments. And mm. this is happening in New York and Berlin and Tokyo. And it struck a chord with me back then, you know, through my studies. And from that point on, it kind of caught my attention. And I knew that there was hundreds of thousands of these shipping containers lying around the world that just dormant. No one's doing anything with them. And so I looked at it as a blank canvas. And so years passed, and every time I'd see a shipping container, I'd go, fire out, I'm going I'm to do something with one of those one day. But I just didn't know what, right? And so obviously, you know, faced with the challenges with um, the demand of the restaurant with the Kanafa and, um, and obviously, you know, how popular it was and, you know, trying to find a solution. And 
I don't know what happened, but I think, you know, it was at that point where I said to myself, like, that's what it's been all these years. Can outfit and shipping container. <laughs> you know, like, it made no sense. You know, like, it made, like, it's even, like, I mean, what are you even thinking about? <laughs> but I knew that's what it was. And um, from that point on, um, I just started, you know, looking around for containers and bought one, actually, before I told my, my business partners and my brother and my sister. Because I know I'm, they are, I'm the crazy creative one and <laughs> I wanted to put myself in a position that I would, they wouldn't talk me out of, pretty much. And, um, and, and again, it kind of just went, went from there, um, you know, and we kind of wanted to just do this one product concept because my mom got excited because she thought we we're going to do all these Middle Eastern sweets. I go, mom, relax. We're just going to be doing the Kanafe. She goes, what do you mean? She goes, no, no, we'll do, you know, baklava and, you know, um, a lot of other dishes that we grew up on. I go, no, we're just going to do this one thing. She goes, what if they don't like it? I go, well, they're probably not going to come. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, knew, I had faith. I had faith in the dish. I, I knew how it made people feel. And like I said, I think the, the beauty is in the simplicity of it, you know. And so all, all I knew that all I had to do was create an environment um, for people to try it for the first time. If I can get them for the, for, for the first time, I knew I could get them back. And, you know, being in hospitality for so many years, you kind of realize what you love about it. And for us, it's about, it's about the people. You know, it's about bringing people together. It's about making people happy. And I guess that's why they call that industry hospitality because that's what we should be giving, right? And so I thought if we can just get the simple things right, you know, and obviously get creative with the space. Um, mind you, it's, it's a real, it was a really simple fit out. Um, I didn't go too crazy with it. It's, like I said, <laughs> for those listening, the, you know, the container, like it's only got one oven and a stainless steel bench in there, <laughs> you know, um, and, and just, and one burner. And so we kind of, it, it looks like this big production, but, you know, I, I take the most valuable things with us once we, we close up every night and that's, and that's our boys. That's our bakers. It's you know, and it's our it's our team who have become our family really, that have um, you know helped us bring this concept to life because each one's got their own beautiful charisma and charm and personality. Um, we all share the same values, and that's you know that love of food and people. And the way we look at our, I guess our business is that we don't really look at ourselves. We're in the product business, you know. We're not we're not really selling canafe, you know. And it's it's about you know creating experiences for people. And if we can continue to do that, um, I think, you know, the journey, you know, it, it, it will be so beautiful because the things that happen that we don't even realize are just so spontaneous and raw, you know. And so if it was just, a, I guess, a product-driven business, I think it would have been a six-month fad, you know, and we're going on to six years now just on. Wow. Yeah, six years on, on one product. We don't, we don't have a menu. Well, let's have a look at that experience because, as you say, it's not just about the Kenefe, um, which is amazing in itself, but the, the actual experience that you deliver, you've got this mobile uh, shipping container, you've got, you've got Sydney and, and Melbourne. Um, tell us about the experience that people have and the show that you put on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like I said, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's beautiful hospitality in, in the simplest form and uh, we don't give uh, our our team any kind of choreography or anything, but we look at it as a food theatre. And so um, I guess our whole team share those values of um, hospitality. And so um, it's about creating experiences. So being in a 
I guess the way the model, the business model works is that we, um, we tour. So every two weeks we're in a different location. We bake from Thursday to Sunday over a two week bracket in every location. And so we, we, we bake in like locations like old workshops, laneways, um, you know, you name it. Like, where can I say, like, the harder to find under bridges, you know, the harder to find the better, you know. So real hidden kind of locations, most of them. And so it's one of those places where it's not, you don't drive by and go, oh, we'll stop here tonight. It's it's 100% destination-based. And so when you arrive at Kanafi, you probably hear Kanafi before you see it. You probably hear the music, <laughs> you know, coming, oh, where's that music coming from? You know, and then and then you, then you arrive and you see it in a distance and you see all these... Uh, Hopefully, good-looking, charismatic bakes all in 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 white, um, and sometimes they're up on a bar dancing and you know baking and shaking we call it. Um, but we're kind of we're baking this dessert. It's kind of we're taking this one this one dish right, and we've dissected it into like I said, what I call food theater. And so before us, you know, if you want a kanafi anywhere, pretty much anywhere in the world, really, you go in and ask for a slice of kanafi. That it's already been pre-made. They'll cut it up and they'll give it to you. Now, can, if it's cold, they'll probably heat it up in a microwave if you're lucky. And so we kind of took this one dish and we wanted to deliver it fresh. And so um, we got about, you know, anywhere between six and eight, nine bakers doing this one wow. dish. Yeah. So one's taking your order, you know, one's, you know, making the actual batch. One's ladling, one's crumbing, one's spraying the rose water wash, one's loading them into the oven. And it's this conveyor oven, obviously, to cater for the volume, right? And then on the other end of the conveyor, there's another two bakers. One's just putting pistachios and boxing, and the other guy's calling, um, calling your name out on a microphone. And so um, that's kind of, you know, a, a little bit of the experience in, in a nutshell. And obviously, you know, we're, we're put on a show in between, and there's music playing in the background. We're, we're, we're trying to sing and dance, you know. Um, you know, and... Like I said, but it's all very raw and spontaneous. We don't, you know, we don't give the bakers any kind of um, strict guidelines in terms of what we should do, and because they they understand why people come, and if if you just you know do what you do with love and give that hospitality, people resonate to that. Take us back to your childhood. You mentioned earlier about the importance of some of the dishes in your family. Can you tell us about some of those? Um, family meal times and and the importance and the role that they played in the development of what you do now. Yeah, re- really good question. Actually, um, I think that's how we've become who we are. It's um, we became a product of our environment, you know. And so, growing up, mum and dad, we were always cooking and entertaining at home. Till now, actually, and so we were always surrounded by by food and people. And so, my mum's one of eleven kids. And my dad's one of seven, and so I've got I've got about a hundred first cousins, and so <laughs> and so family get-togethers like are normally at um, football stadiums, you know. Um, so, but so but growing up, it you know, food for us is, is it's a celebration, like every day, like it's not just about cooking to get full. Like, mum will spend all day, you know, preparing food, and then we all gather around the table with, you know, whether it's immediate family or extended family, but it's always about bringing people together and enjoying that. Like very rarely are you ever sitting on your own eating. So um, we're always having people, like our front door, we never used to close it. 
like it was never locked like everyone knows this for not locking our front door and <laughs> they joke about it. they go do you guys ever lock your front door now <laughs> you know <laughs> and so I, I think those values um end up shaping us to be honest and what we kind of um share at within the businesses, it's kind of, we've, we've taken those values and implemented them in our business. It's pretty much what I'm trying to say. Um, we, no, it's, it's not really any different. And so, and people can tell, you know, people can tell when you experience something from the heart and when something's real or when something's put on and it's fake. And, and I think that's why there is a big difference between customer service and hospitality. You know, like you go into a cafe and most cafes or restaurants or bakery, like they give customer service and if you get a good experience you've got really good customer service but it should feel like hospitality where it's not put on it's like it's from within and so like I said we, we took those um, values that we grew up on and we just implemented them in our business and I'll be honest I don't think we were naturally business savvy and we're probably still not but um, <laughs> we are but you know for us it was it was we realized that we're really good at building good relationships with people. And as a byproduct of that, we've been incredibly blessed to build really cool brands and businesses with those values. What surprised you over the last six years of building uh, this brand and identity that's so uh, um, so popular and so well-received? Has there been yeah. hurdles along the way? What's, what's it been like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's been a lot of challenges. Um, you know, but the way we look like, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. And so now when we face challenges and hurdles, we kind of always expect it. And so we automatically go into solution mode. And I'll, I'll give an example. Like prior to Canafia, for many years, I guess all of our businesses became reliant on my brother and I. Like we couldn't step away from the business because people would come in and ask for AJ and Joey, like the, mm. our nicknames, right? And so if we took days off, like people wouldn't come or they go, oh, they want to be served by us. We remember people's coffees or what they liked, how, you know, like they didn't need to order their coffee. Like we had their coffee on the bar as soon as they walk in, you know, and we set a really high bar and that we thought was great. And my sister's a pretty, pretty switched on, you know, person and um, business savvy. And she goes, you know, if, if you guys are, this is many years ago, she goes, if you guys are the business, she goes, how are we going to, how, how can we sell it? I go, what do you mean? Like people are coming in and asking for us. How good's that? You know, we, we couldn't get ahead around like what she's trying to say. And so by the time we launched Canafe, we um we kind of took all of our experiences and um it's true when people say experience breeds expertise, because we put all of our experiences into this really simple concept. And you know, there's so much depth in in Canafe that I guess most people wouldn't even recognize and I think that's the beauty of it it's kind of making Kanafi look effortless and I'll give you an example like um to kind of that solution for for Joey and I to kind of be able to work on the business not just in it this is how the bearded bakers came to life is that um we wanted to create a, when we launched Kanafi we wanted to create a brand where we could be there when we're not there like something tangible that people wouldn't ask for just Joey and I and so um, obviously, you know, Kanaf is a Middle Eastern concept. Um, my father being born in Jerusalem, we wanted to kind of showcase more of our culture, you know, mm. and translate that in a, in a more tangible way. And we, and just the whole idea of like, you know, these good-looking, charismatic, bearded men, you know, came to life, you know, in white aprons, 
Um, and I don't know, it, it's really hard, like weird to say, but like it, all these little pieces started happening organically and yeah. felt right. And we go, yeah, mate, that's it. That's, that's what it is. And, um, but at that time, we didn't realize the Bearded Bakers would become a brand. It was just a solution for a problem that we had. And so now looking back, we find ourselves, you know, doing a lot of our, I spend most of my time on now brand partnerships and collabs um, for food, fashion, lifestyle, you know, mm-hmm. the, you know, the automotive industry, things that are even not, not related to food. And so it's, it's the brand of the, you know, the bearded bakers that, you know, people really resonated with. And like I said, it's been an incredible journey. Like sometimes things just find you, you know, you, you create the infrastructure for it to exist. But from that point, um, the real beauty, so I, I believe, you know, is unplanned. You must have had some great reactions to the bearded bakers. Do you have any favourites? Yeah, well, actually, um, before we launched, a lot of people thought we were crazy because we t- put it this way: Let, let's rewind six years, right? You know, before the bearded bakers and Knafe, if you spoke about Middle Eastern or Arab men with beards, what was the what was the conversation? Mm. It, 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 there wasn't this positive light, you know. It actually had a negative connotation, like Arab men with a beard was looked upon as you know, <laughs> not as good, right? And so we took something so st- uh, like negative and turned it into a positive. And now when people come to Kanafe or when, when you see like a Middle Eastern guy with a beard, like, man, like, that's cool. Like, it's almost become like sexy, you know, <laughs> like, but six years ago, it wasn't, it wasn't that case. It was actually, looking back now, it was a big risk, you know? Um, but yeah, that was one of the most interesting things, um, you know, obviously that we faced at the beginning. Um, but yes, yeah, some more, um, positive. So you're saying, well, go back to your, I forgot the actual original question. Hopefully I started to answer it. Um, I, you just, you must've had some great reactions to the bearded bakers. Do you, do you have any favorites? Um, the, the, honestly, there's been, there's been a lot because we've, just to give you an idea, we've been to, like baking and touring for six years now and being in a different location every two weeks, we've done like hundreds and hundreds of locations mm. and, re- and really cool kind of partnerships. Um, working with Qantas was, was an amazing experience. Um, we, did a, we did a cool commercial for Microsoft. Um, we launched Knafe in New York. Wow. Um, where the concept was, you know, where I guess New York for me inspired me for so many years. We launched Canaf in New York three years ago. And so we do international tours where we plan like a three-month tour and we'll send a team over and, you know, we'll tour New York, you know, the five boroughs. So that happened, you know, three years ago. We're, um, we're actually doing an event in Miami at the end of the year. But um, honestly, the most beautiful experiences are the ones that happen on a, on a, a night-to-night basis with the reactions that we get from people on a personal level. Yeah, we honestly we do some really cool things with some awesome brands, but the things that really get us excited are, are those experiences that, uh, I guess, the joy we bring to people every night that we bake, you know, because you get to see it right then and there, you know. And we attract a wide range of people, you know, like young and old, um, couples on first dates, foodies, hipsters, you know, like you name it. It's such a wide range of demographics, and so. We, get, we attract a lot of families as well, and a lot of the kids love it. 
it's so fat like you know the kids yeah absolute digger and they come up and stand up at the bar and watch the boys they're just so fascinated about what's happening and so it, it's pretty it, it's, it's a beautiful thing you know um doing you know doing what you love and and people enjoying what you do with a mobile offering that's yeah. <laughs> reliant on on events as well what sort of impact did COVID have originally on your business um so when COVID hit, it was obviously it was unprecedented times and um, a lot of people kind of running around like headless chooks. And we thought, all right, well, I kind of um, just wanted want to just digest it all and see what's actually going on. And so I didn't want to make any rational decisions. So we kind of just um, – I just kind of took a couple of days off just, just to understand what is going on. And, and I came up with kind of – we came to a realisation where we thought, let's – Let's use this opportunity or let's use this time as an opportunity to do things that we would normally do. Let's get creative. And so um, Joey, my young brother, was down in Melbourne and we launched an online platform in Melbourne called We Make It, You Bake It. And so we partnered up with um, so Joey and Salvatore, you know, the founder of um, St. Ali in Melbourne, did an amazing collaboration down there and we started distributing through the St. Ali online store um, the We Make It, You Bake It concept and had the recipe card in there. So we would prepare from the central kitchen. Um, the canapa was obviously packed and sealed with all the ingredients. All you had to do was just bake it in the oven, take it out, put the sugar syrup and the pistachios, and people really digged it. And so that kind of took off in Melbourne. And in Sydney, we launched a drive through model. And we thought, how do we keep doing what we do? You know, how do we keep, like, in these crazy times, how do we keep bringing joy to people? And so, and obviously without people having to get down, we thought, oh, let's let's create a drive-through with experience. No one's ever done that before. <laughs> so we we found ourselves, people driving all around town, and you'd see lines of, you know, <laughs> queues of cars lining up, and they'd arrive at the container, and we still got the music blaring, the, the boys are pretending to do car washes and, you know, we're dancing on people's <laughs> bonnets. And honestly, we just, we just told the boy, we just told the bakers, just have fun. Let's, let's continue to bring joy to people. And what the boys brought to the table, like it was just, everyone's got their own flair and creativity and it was unbelievable. And we thought there's a big market for a, for a drive through with experience. And so that got us through, that got us through COVID, you know, and, we thought it's, not, it's something that I'd never think that would ever do, you know. And people love the fact that you need to get out of the car. So yeah, we got we got a little bit creative, and um, you know, I feel like we had a bit of a moral responsibility as well. I think there was a lot of businesses, you know, looking at us to see what what are the beta bakers going to do. And so I think a lot of people kind of took COVID as an opportunity to to have time off, to say, hey, you know, I probably need a break, um, and just stay at home or whatever it may be and or some people didn't know what to do and so we thought how do we you know let's like let's get creative let's see if we can inspire others to to just keep soldiering on and you only need one or two things to take off and it's just a matter of experimenting you know what have you got to lose if it doesn't work you know so it's about just tweaking it until it works really you know and and that's my kind of advice to people when people go like are you even scared to fail i'll go like well what do you mean like i go like not getting the results that you want, I go, just keep tweaking it. Keep manipulating it until it works. You know, and before you know it, like something's bound to take off. Just don't, like, 
can't give up. It's not an option. You mentioned uh, Miami and the event that you're going to do yeah. there. Yeah. What else uh, can we expect on the cards in the next year from the Bearded Bakers? Well, um, we, we, we had two cracker dishes at the restaurant. Um, one of them was the the Kanafa and the other ones, I don't know if you tried it back then, was the lamb and pine nut dumplings. Yes, I did. In creamy yogurt. Yes. Yeah. It's called Shish Barak. So... I'm pretty excited to kind of announce that um, we and we have been teasing it a little bit, but not not everybody knows. The last couple of years, we've been developing um, a Middle Eastern dumpling concept. So taking wow. these dumplings and yeah, translating. So think you know you think of going to Asian dumpling house, right? Um, but translated into a Middle Eastern format. Anywhere in the Middle East you go, everyone does their own take on dumplings. Yet no one's ever done anything with it, and so. Honestly, it's this is something like it's unbelievably exciting for me because we get to bring something really new and dynamic um, and showcase more of who we are, food that we grew up on, but presenting it in a way that people just wouldn't expect, you know. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a Middle Eastern dumpling house, you know, where you'd still have, you know, you know the Middle Eastern guys, you know, shirts rolled up, you know, tattoos, who knows, you know, <laughs> folding dumplings, you know the whole cookie line in front of you where you can actually sit at sit at the bar and watch these guys, you know, um, whipping up dumplings. And where Kanafa is high energy, you know, Shish Barak is going to be the exact opposite. It's kind of going back to the old school, you know, the old school kind of um, music and acoustic and, um, yeah, going back to the old school classics really. And like I said, you know, it's, it's an opportunity for us to um, showcase our culture in, in a way that hasn't been done before. Well, I haven't had shish barak since then, and I've thought about it a few times, so I'm very <laughs> excited to hear this news. Um, we've, I mean, we've loved having you on Deep in the Weeds to share your story today. Um, please keep in touch, and uh, good luck with everything, and we'll talk again soon. Thanks for the opportunity. Take care, guys. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's HOSPO community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>